Jehovah Rapha. The Lord just makes you realise how important the sound desk is. The Lord who heals or the Lord who makes whole. And today we're looking at Leviticus chapters 13 to 15 where God outlines for the people of Israel public health regulations. Probably the first ones ever recorded in history. So far away of their time that there are some countries of the world still haven't caught up with them. Even the Western world only put into practice what we're talking about today as far as infectious diseases and so on is concerned 150 years ago. These words were written 4,000 to 5,000 years ago. So we think today of diseases, decay and discharges. Before we do that, let's just think about Jehovah Rapha. For in Exodus chapter 15, before, as the people of Israel were leaving Egypt, moving into the wilderness, God made this revelation of himself to them. I am Jehovah Rapha, almighty God who heals, almighty God who makes whole. And to understand the book of Leviticus, we need to understand the heart of God. To understand the holiness of God. To understand that when God created the heavens and the earth, he didn't just make rocks and trees and stones, he made a moral universe. I don't believe we'll ever comprehend as human beings the effect that what we call the fall had on that moral universe. When Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God, when they as our representatives chose to go their own way and do their own thing at the bidding of Satan, the whole of creation, the Bible tells us, fell out of favour, fell out of joint. So much so that in the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul tells us that the whole of creation waits and travails for the revelation of the sons of men. And only the coming of Jesus again will put it right. And a part of that fall, of course, was the breakdown of creation and sickness and disease. Sometimes sickness and disease can be caused directly by our own actions. You remember that parable, not that parable, but the story when Jesus healed that crippled man And he was asked the question, whose sin was it that gave this man this illness? And Jesus said it wasn't his sin or his parents' sin, but that that God should be glorified. There are some times when our actions do cause us to be sick. If you take drugs, use unclean needles, you'll probably end up with AIDS or hepatitis C, with mental disturbances, and problems. If as a child of God we smoke, we take into our body unholy fire that will affect our bodies physically. If we worry and fret and we refuse to trust in God, then we'll end up with all kinds of psychosomatic illnesses that plague our doctor's surgeries. 
We drink alcohol to excess and become drunk and end up with shot livers, bad pancreases, and esophageal varicoses. Oh yes, sometimes what we do does make us sick. But generally illness came into our world because of the fall, because of creation being out of joint. Most of the illnesses that we suffer as human beings are common to all of humanity in one way or another. And it was in that context that God says, I am Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals, the God who makes you whole. And God's plan of redemption began with the nation of Israel. He called them out of Egypt after the promises made to Abraham. The start of a plan of redemption, he brought them into the promised land. And he said, if you will obey my laws, if you will live as I've told you to live, then I will not bring the diseases of Egypt or the nations around about you on you. And the nation of Israel, immediately after moving into the promised land, took the land that God had promised to Abraham. They didn't drive out the inhabitants. They didn't do what God told them. The only other time that I can see when the whole of that land promised to Abraham was fulfilled was during the reign of Solomon. But there's coming a day when it will be restored. They didn't do what he told them to do. He said, if you don't drive out the inhabitants of the land, they will become thorns in your eyes, uh, thorns in your, in your sides and pricks in your eyes. What an opportunity they had to obey God, to follow his ways, to live with all the blessings that he promised them. They chose not to. In my private reading, I've been reading through the Old Testament and had begun uh, obviously with Genesis but going through Leviticus and then into Numbers and Deuteronomy to see the fulfilment of, of the working out of what God says in Leviticus. And I came to Judges and I didn't really want to start because I've read it before. And there were days when I wept as I read what could have been but they chose to go their own way. And then thank God I got through to the book of Ruth. And there found that lovely lady, that Moabitish lady, that foreign lady, who married into the wonderful family that she did. She became the great-great-grandmother of Obed, the father of David, the one through whom God promised the coming Messiah. And Jesus was born physically in her line. A promise of forgiveness to the nation of Israel and to the world. A promise of the untills of scripture that the Lord Jesus and the word of God speaks about. Blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. The words of Jesus, you shall henceforth see me now no more until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And if you want to see how that's going to be fulfilled, then you read those wonderful prophecies in Zechariah 11 through 13. Where God says, they shall look on me whom they have pierced and mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and I will open a floodgate of blessing to the house of Israel. 
And when he blesses Israel, he will come and bless us. On that day when creation will be restored, when there will be no more sickness or crying out or pain, for the former things will be passed away. When the lion will eat straw like the ass, when the wolf and the lamb will lie down together, when a little child will play on an adder's nest. You see, the Lord Jesus didn't come just to forgive our sin. The Lord Jesus didn't come just to make it right between him and us. He came, the Bible says, for the restoration of all things. The whole of creation will be what God intended it to be when he comes. It's in that context that we come today to look at these three chapters of Leviticus. Keep in mind Jehovah Rapha, the one who makes whole. In Isaiah 53, where it says he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we were not just healed physically but made whole. It's the same word. In the book of James, the only two places where James speaks about healing, he speaks about confessing your faults one to another and praying for one another that you might be made whole. The Greek word means the same. He says, if any is sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him the prayer of faith and the prayer of faith will heal the sick. Again, the word is, it will make them whole. And if they have committed sins, they will be forgiven. In the New Testament, the committing of sin and the healing of the body are always linked together. And so we come to these chapters. First of all, he speaks of diseases. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, whenever anyone has a swelling or a rash or a shiny spot on his skin that may be a defining skin disease, they must be brought to Aaron, the priest, or to one of the sons who is a priest. The priest is to examine the sore on the skin. The hair on the sore has turned white and the sore appears to be more than skin deep. It is a defiling skin disease. When the priest examines that person, he shall pronounce them ceremoniously unclean. If the shiny spot on the skin is white but does not appear to be more than skin deep and the hair is not turned white, the priest is to isolate the affected person for seven days. On the seventh day, the priest is to examine them. If he sees that the sore is unchanged, that it is not spread to the skin, he is to isolate them from another seven days. On the seventh day, the priest is to examine them again. The sore is faded, is not spread in the skin. The priest shall pronounce them clean. It is only a rash. They must wash their clothes and they will be clean. But if the rash does not spread to the skin after they've shown themselves to the priest to be pronounced clean, they must appear before the priest again. The priest is to examine that person. If the rash is spread to the skin, he will pronounce them unclean. It is a defiling skin disease. When anyone has a defiling skin disease, they must be brought to the priest. The priest is to examine them and if there is a white swelling in the skin that has turned the hair white and if there is the flesh <coughs> and if there is raw flesh in the swelling it is a chronic skin disease and the priest shall pronounce them unclean. He is not to isolate them because they are already unclean. We haven't got time today to read through all the other different kind of conditions that he speaks about that 
I commend it to you for your reading. And so the priest, if someone had these skin diseases, rashes, problems, then the priest was to examine them and there were certain criteria uh, that were to be followed. Some were obviously infectious, some weren't. And we'll see what was to be done about that a little later on. And of course, defiling skin diseases have prevailed through history. It's a 15-year-old girl. Fortunately, after six months of sulphur treatment, her condition cleared up. That's leprosy, real leprosy. And that's what it can do. Not because it takes away the flesh, but because the people lose their feeling and then they knock themselves and cut themselves. That's not leprosy. That's elephantiasis with an overflowing fungal infection. That's just a very bad burn. That chap's got nothing wrong with him. They're just tribal markings on his leg. And so the priest would have to sort through all these things and work them out. But what happened to the one who had an infectious disease? The man is, to, is called, is diseased, it is unclean, following on from where we read before. The priest shall pronounce him unclean because of the sore on his head. If anyone with a, anyone with a defiling skin disease must wear torn clothes, let their hair be unkempt, cover, cover the lower part of their face, no doubt, so they didn't spread the infection to anyone else, and cry, unclean, unclean. As long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live outside of the camp. On the holiness spectrum of Leviticus that we've been considering, such a person was at the very bottom of the holiness spectrum very unclean and outside the camp. So much for diseases. Then Leviticus goes on to speak or God goes on to speak about houses and uh, clothing. As for any fabric that is spoiled with a defiling mould, any woolen or linen clothing, any woven or knitted material of linen or wool, any leather or anything made of leather, the affected area in the fabric, the leather, the woven or knitted material, or any leather article is greenish or reddish, it is defiling mould and must be shown to the priest. The priest is to examine the affected area and isolate the article for seven days. On the seven days he is to examine it, the mould is spread in the fabric, the woven or knitted material or the leather. Whatever its use, it is a persistent defiling mould. The article is unclean. The Lord said to Moses, When you enter the land of Canaan, which I am giving you as your possession, 
and I put a spreading mould in a house or in that land, the owner of the house must go and tell the priest I have something that looks like a defiling, defiling mould or rot or some other problem in my house. The priest is to order the house to be emptied before he goes in to examine the mould so that nothing in the house will be pronounced unclean. After this, the priest is to go and inspect the house. He is to examine the mould on the walls. If it is greenish or reddish depression, it appears to be deeper than the surface of the wall. The priest shall go out the doorway of the house and close it for seven days. On the seventh day, the priest shall return to inspect the house. If the mould has spread on the path, on the, on the walls, he is to order that contaminated stones be torn out and thrown down in an unclean place before the town, outside the town. He must have all the inside walls of the house scraped and the material that is scraped off dumped in an unclean place outside the town. Outside the town, that's where the lepers were. Now with the mould of houses. He must have all the inside walls of the house scraped, the material that is scraped off dumped into an unclean place outside the town. Then they are to take other stones to replace them and take new clay and plaster and house and plaster the house. If the priest comes to examine it and the mould is not spread after the house has been plastered, he shall pronounce the house clean because the defiling mould is gone. So too were the houses. If there was rot in them, if there was mould in them, if there was salt damp, things that we uh, find even now, those places were to be cleansed, the affected parts were to be taken out and thrown out, replaced and the house would be examined again and if it hadn't spread then the house would be considered to be clean. Then he goes on in Leviticus 15, the Lord said to Aaron, speak to the Israelites and say to them when any man has an unusual bodily discharge, such a discharge is unclean. The Hebrew word uh, that is used uh, would suggest that these are discharges of a sexual nature, probably some form of, um, of, um, of a sexual disease. Whether it continues flowing from his body or is blocked, it will make him unclean. This is how his discharge will, will bring about uncleanness. Any bed the man with discharge lies on will be unclean. Anything he sits on will be unclean. Anything who touches his bed must wash their clothes and bathe with water and they will be unclean till morning. Whoever sits on anything that a man with a discharge sat on must wash their clothes and bathe with water and they shall be unclean until evening. Whoever touches the man who has a discharge must have their wash, they must wash their clothes and bathe with water and they will be unclean till evening. A clay plot that the man touches must be broken and any wooden article to be rinsed with water. Well, we've got the dots there, there's lots more in between. It makes interesting reading if you'd like to follow it up yourself. So much so that even the saddle of his donkey that he sat on, if he spat on someone, they were considered to be unclean, which again shows that uh, uh, the things that we know now about the spreading of some diseases. Then he goes on to speak, you must keep the Israelites separate from things that make them unclean, so they will not die in their uncleanness for defiling my place 
which is among them. These are the regulations for a man with a discharge or anyone made unclean by an omission of semen. And the chapter talks also of a woman uh, of her monthly period for a man or a woman with a discharge for a man who has sexual relations with a woman who is ceremonially unclean. These are not just arbitrary things but things that uh, show to us first of all the wisdom of God in protecting his people in illness, in uh, problems with health and also within their living conditions but also give to us an understanding of something of the holiness of God as we'll see as we think later of the remedy of such things. So what were they to do? What remedy was there for these diseases, for this dry rot, for these discharges? All of them involved the sacrifice of animals of some kind or another. As God began to show to his people that sin and its effects cannot go unpunished, And there is a price, an awful price to be paid. We think of the person outside the camp first of all. And there's quite a large reading which I believe we should read. I've wrestled with this all week as to whether, because it will take a few moments. But what was involved was almost as strict as the regulations for the Day of Atonement just to get a man back into the camp once he was outside. What was the remedy? The Lord said to Moses, these are the regulations for any diseased person at the time of their ceremonial cleansing when they're brought to the priest. The first thing that must happen is, and I found this extremely significant, the priest is to go outside the camp and examine them. The priest was to become unclean by going outside the camp to examine the person. If they've been healed of their defiling skin disease, the priest shall order the two live clean birds and some cedar wood, scarlet yarn and hyssop be brought for the person to be cleansed. I think of those wonderful verses in Hebrews which we'll look at as we close. That Jesus suffered outside the camp in order that he might bring us to God. There was a cost to be paid, an awful cost. And the first step of restitution, the first step of bringing a person who is diseased back into the fellowship, back into the camp, was that the priest himself had to go out of the camp and meet with that person put into practice what God had ordered for their cleansing and then bring them in. So they started by taking two live clean birds and some cedar wood, scarlet yarn and hyssop, the same things that were used to sprinkle that blood on the doorposts in Egypt before that awful night when they left, when the firstborn died and they were delivered. Then the priest shall order that one of the birds be killed over fresh water in a clay pot 
is to then take the live bird and dip it together with the cedar wood, the scarlet yam and the hyssop into the blood of the bird that was killed over the fresh water. Seven times you shall sprinkle the one to be cleansed of the defiling disease and then pronounce them clean. After that he is to release the live bird into the open field. The person to be cleansed must wash their clothes, shave off their hair and bathe with water, then they will be ceremonial clean. After this they must come into the camp, but they must stay outside their tent for seven days. On the seventh day they must shave off all their hair. They must shave their head, their beard, their eyebrows and the rest of their hair. They must wash their clothes and bathe themselves with water and they will be clean. On the eighth day they shall bring two male lambs and one ewe lamb, a year old, each without defect along with three quarters, three tenths of an ephah of finest flour mixed with olive oil for a grain offering and one log of oil. The priest who pronounces them clean shall present them both the one to be cleansed and their offering before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Then the priest is to take one of the male lambs and offer it as a guilt offering along with a log of oil. He shall wave them before the Lord as a wave offering. He is to slaughter the, slaughter the lamb in the sanctuary area where the sin <coughs> offering, with the sin offering and the burnt offerings are slaughtered. Like the sin offering, the guilt offering belongs to the priest. It is the most holy. The priest is to take some of the blood of the guilt offering put on the lobe of the right ear of the one to be cleansed, on the thumb of their right hand and the big toe of their right foot. The priest shall take then the log of oil, pour it on the palm of his own left hand, dip his left forefinger in the oil to the par, to the, in his palm and with his finger sprinkle some of it before the Lord seven, seven, seven times. The priest is to put some of the oil remaining in his palm on the lobe of the right ear of the one to be cleansed on the thumb of their right hand, on the big toe of their right foot, on top of the blood of the guilt offering. The rest of the oil is in his palm. The priest shall put on the head of the one to be cleansed and make atonement for them before the Lord. Then the priest is to sacrifice the the sin offering and make atonement for the one to be cleansed from their uncleanness. After that, the priest shall slaughter the burnt offering and offer it on the altar together with the grain offering and make atonement for them and they will be clean. If however they are poor and cannot afford these, they must take one male lamb as a guilt offering to be waved to make atonement for them. Together with a tenth of an ephah of the finest flour mixed with oil for a grain offering, a log of oil and two doves or two young pigeons which as they can afford, one for a sin offering, the other for a burnt offering. On the eighth day they must bring them for their cleansing to the priest at the entrance to the term of meeting before the Lord. The priest is to take the lamb for a guilt offering together with a log of oil and wave them before the Lord as a wave offering. He shall slaughter the lamb with a guilt offering and take some of its blood, put it on the lobe of the right ear of the one to be cleansed, on the thumb of his right hand, on the big toe of his right foot. The priest is to pour some of the oil into the palm of his own left hand and with his right forefinger sprinkle some of the oil from this palm from his palm several seven times before the Lord. Some of the oil is in his palm is to put on the same place he put the blood of the guilt offering, on the lobe of the right ear of the one to be cleansed, on the thumb of their right hand, on the big toe of their right foot. The rest of the oil in his palm the priest shall put on the head of the one to be cleansed to make atonement for them before the Lord. 
Then he shall sacrifice the doves or the young pigeon, such as the person can afford. One as a sin offering, the other as a burnt offering, together with a grain offering. In this way the priest will make atonement before the Lord on the behalf of the one to be cleansed. These are the regulations for anyone who has a defiling skin disease and who cannot afford the regular offering for their cleansing. Is it any wonder that Peter, when they were working out what Gentile Christians should do, said, why should we lay this on people when we don't have to? But it shows the seriousness of being outside the camp. The seriousness of what had to be paid to come back into the camp. To go from being very unclean again to that which was holy and acceptable to God. Praise God, today we have one who paid it all for us. For these pictures are are just examples and types of what had to be done that were all fulfilled at Calvary. So too with garments. On the seventh day is to examine it and if the mould is spread in the fabric, the woven or knitted material or the leather, whatever its use, is a persistent defiling mould, the article is unclean. He must burn the fabric, the woven or knitted material or wool or linen or any leather article that has been spoiled because the defiling mould is persistent, the article must be burned. So we're not talking about people now. It's no good keeping that garment. It'll only get worse. Burn it. Same with houses. If the defiling mould reappears in the house after the stones have been torn out, the house scraped and plastered, the priest is to go and examine it. And if the mould is spread in the house, it's a persistent defiling mould. The house is unclean. It must be torn down. It's stones, timbers and all the plaster taken out of the town to an unclean place. Anyone who goes in the house while it is closed up will be unclean till evening. Anyone who sleeps or eats in the house must wash their clothes. If the priest comes to examine it and the mould is not spread after the house has been plastered, he shall pronounce the house clean before the defiling mould is gone. But if the priest comes to examine it and the mould is not spread after the house has been plastered, he shall pronounce the house clean before, because the defiling mould is gone. To purify the house is to take two birds and some cedar wood, scarlet and yarn and hyssop. He shall kill one of the birds over fresh water in a clay pot. He shall take the cedar wood, the hyssop, the scarlet yarn and the live bird, dip them into the blood of the dead bird and the fresh water and sprinkle the house seven times. He shall purify the house with the bird's blood, the fresh water, the fresh water, the live bird, the cedar wood, the hyssop and the scarlet yarn. Then he is to release the live bird into the open fields outside the town. In this way he will make atonement for the house and it will be clean. And so too were the houses. They were ceremonially clean, but God was saying how these things must be dealt with. Blood must be shed. A life must be taken. The significance, of course, of the live bird was, as it was in the Day of Atonement with the live uh, goats, was to take the sin outside the camp. 
The same with discharges. When a man is cleansed from his discharge, he is to count off seven days for the ceremonial cleansing. He must wash his clothes and bathe himself with fresh water and he will be clean. Of course, he wasn't, if the discharge was still going, then he was uh, then uh, isolated again. On the eighth day, he must take two doves or two young pigeons and come before the Lord to the entrance in the tent of meeting and give them to the priest. The priest is to sacrifice them, the one for a sin offering, the other for a burnt offering. These offerings are different, more significant because uh, there's the thought that sin had been involved and so now there must be a sin offering and a burnt offering which was not used for a house. In this way he will make atonement before the Lord for the man because of his discharge. All of this because God was trying to impress on his people be holy for I am holy. As you know, nothing has changed. We live in a day when we know the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. We no longer need to bring animal sacrifices to atone for our sin because our sin has all been paid for at Calvary. I refer to those wonderful verses in Hebrews. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp bearing his disgrace, his reproach, the reproach he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city but we are looking for the city that is to come. If all of your life today is tied up in this world in the material things of this life then you are of all people most miserable because all that God has promised is heading toward that day of redemption that day of restoration and he calls us as his people to go outside the camp with him in order that others might know him, in order that others might come to redeeming grace in him. He suffered outside the camp for us in order that we might know him, be blessed, encouraged and know his grace. He says now, follow me. Take up your cross daily and follow me. And I think sometimes we make the mistake of feeling, well, that means we have to be persecuted and we may well be. That means doing great things for God. No, it doesn't. It just means living like Jesus where we are. Going outside the camp is to do things in a different way, not in the world's way. 
So the way we treat one another, the way we treat our husbands and our wives, our children, the honesty and integrity that we use at work, the purifying of our thoughts and our lives. These are the things that the world very often has no time for but Jesus would call us outside the camp with him. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6.11 you have been washed, you have been sanctified, you have been made whole. He says in 1 Thessalonians 5.23 I pray that your whole spirit, soul and body might be preserved blameless until the Lord's coming. You see, God is not just interested in little bits of us. He's interested in the whole person. He wants to make us whole as we submit to him. As we close today, I'd like us just to think of two ways of what it means to be outside the camp. If we profess to be Christ, then he calls us to come outside from the world and to live for him, to make him Lord of everything, to let him be in control of every aspect of our lives, whatever that might be. And in return, we will understand what it means to be whole because in the midst of difficulties, problems and situations that without him would seem hopeless, we can know the fullness of his blessing and his grace will suffice us, as it did the Apostle Paul. But there is another way that we can be outside the camp. We can be outside of the love of God. We can be outside of an understanding of what it means to be cleansed from all our sin. We can be lost eternally. And maybe this morning you don't know the Lord Jesus as your own personal saviour. You've never come into that place of blessing where God has made you his child. You're outside the camp. And all you're conscious of is an angry God above you, a condemned and dying world around you and a yawning sin, a yawning hell beneath you. That's what it means to be outside the camp when God in his mercy offers forgiveness for every sin you've ever committed, for every rebellion you've ever showed toward him, for every time you've sought to live a day without him, he offers forgiveness. And in that forgiveness to be made whole, peace, joy, patience, all his grace poured into your life. Shall we pray? Our Father, we bow in your presence as the Holy One, maker of heaven and earth. We thank you today that you are Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals and makes whole. And we thank you too that you are also Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord, our righteousness the one who has made it possible for us to know you, the one who has made possible for us only to look forward with anticipation and joy, knowing that the best is yet to come. We call to you 
and ask that by your grace each one of us might know you as you intended us to know you, as your children, as your loved ones. For we ask it in the worthy name of Jesus. Amen.